everyone. Welcome to season two, episode 33 of Sisters Coffee and Crime. I'm Sandra. And I'm Christina. Today we're talking about serial killer Clifford Olson. He was a serial killer in British Columbia, Canada, known as the Beast of BC or the Rent-A-Car Killer. Clifford murdered 11 people that we know of. The age range was between 9 and 18 years old. Let's grab some coffee and talk about his crimes. Clifford Olson was born on January 1st, 1940 in Vancouver, British Columbia. He was the oldest of four kids and early in his in school he was bullied. So he wants to fight back so he decides to learn how to box and all this did was turn him into a bully. Soon enough he was known as the mean kid in school and he would get into fights a lot. Clifford became exactly what he was trying to fight, which was just a big bully. There were also claims that as a young boy, Clifford tortured and killed animals. Oh, that's never good. It's a huge red flag. It's a huge red flag, yeah. Now, he does drop out of school pretty young in the eighth grade. So he's 12, 13 at the time? Right. Yeah. But I mean... Because of the time, I guess it wasn't so uncommon. Like, now an 8th grader drops out and you'd be like, what? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So he does spend... um, After he turns 17, he spends the better part of 25 years in jail. Whoa. Okay. On and off, I'm supposing? or Well, he... Like, from probations and being released early, he spends, out of those 25 years, four years out of jail. Okay. Okay. So it's it's a it's a long time. It's a long time, yeah. yeah. It's a long time. So it's basically twenty one years in jail. Yeah, in and out. Yeah, sure. Now his convictions include breaking and entering, gun violations, possession of stolen property, obstruction of justice, forgery, fraud, parole violations, robbery, theft, rape, impaired driving, public indecency. That's not all of them, but that's just to that's name some. Wow. Now he also escaped from prison. Seven times. Wow, that's a good system that we have there. It is, right? Perfect. And he was found by police dogs. <laughs> which is kind of ironic. Like yeah, all, almost is. all seven times he was caught by police dogs. Yeah. But he's sort of like has this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going on because I mean he escapes seven times, mm-hmm. right? But he also gets released sometimes for good behavior. Oh, so sometimes you like him and then other times, yeah, I guess. you know, people hate him kind of thing? Okay, I see. And while he was in prison, not the other prisoners, not even the guards, nobody could trust him for very long. Mm-hmm. And when he knew that he just couldn't get his way anymore, he would just start to antagonize them. This is to say, in jail or out of jail, he was just a bully. Yeah, he's a piece of garbage. Yeah, Definitely. Wait, it gets better. In January of 1980, Clifford meets a woman named Joan Hale, and she's described as a short, nervous woman. She's a divorcee. She has reddish-brown hair, and Joan and Clifford fall in love and get married May 15, 1981. Their wedding takes place at the People's Full Gospel Chapel in Surrey. Now, this is one month after their son, Stephen, was born. And I'm just putting this into perspective on the timeline. Because at this stage in his life, after being married and having a newborn baby, he's already murdered three people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now, he doesn't really have a specific type, just young people. Because it's boys and girls, and they vary from the ages of 
9 to 18. So I wonder if that's like, you know, what, you know, he used to get bullied. Right. So I wonder if that's why he's targeting young Kids, people. maybe. Yeah. And teenagers and stuff, yeah. And they were all in a 90-kilometer radius in Vancouver, and he committed this crimes from 1980 to 1981, and he was actually only active for about nine months. Whoa, that's a lot. In right? A like, in a short time. amount of time. Now, at this time, obviously, he's out of prison, and he's supposed to be under police supervision. Sounds like that worked. This is awful. Now, the first known victim is Christine Weller. She's 12 year, she was 12 years old from Surrey, British Columbia. And she was taken on her way home. She was riding her bike. Mm-hmm. November 17th, 1980. Her body would be found December 25th, 1980 in the woods. Oh, that's awful. But when she, was, when she first disappeared, mm-hmm. it wasn't considered suspicious. What do you mean? How does a 12-year-old go missing and it's not considered suspicious? I mean, we're going to see this over and over again, that the police were like, she's a runaway. She's This happened. So Christine had been strangled with a belt. She was stabbed about 10 times and had some slash wounds to her neck. Her autopsy said that she had four penetrating wounds in her liver and a double perforation of the right ventricle of the heart. All to say that it was very violent. Now, Clifford's next victim is Colleen, I know I'm going to say her name wrong, and I'm very sorry, Diagonalt. She was 13 years old and went missing from Surrey, British Columbia on April 16th, 1981. Now, the police thought that she was a runaway Mm -hmm. and did not take this seriously until about five months later when her body was found. Five months? Yeah. So they didn't look into it at all. They just assumed she, she was, was a runaway. runaway and didn't... Okay. Now, she was attacked and murdered, and they there were reported blows to her head with a um, with a hammer. And this is going to happen again and again. He, he really does, like, find an MO and keeps it after a yeah. few murders. You can see that he's very angry, too, right? Like, right. And what he does to these young women right now. And his third victim is Darren Johnsrude. And he was taken from a shopping mall. Darren was 16 years old. And he went missing on April 22nd, 1981. And this one is really close to Colleen's murder. It's just less than two weeks. And he was also murdered by repeated blows to the head. Hammer blows to the head. And the next murder is of Sandra Wolfsteiner. And she was 16 years old. She was hitchhiking home from her boyfriend's house. Mm-hmm. And this took place on May 19th. 1981. And remember, he got married May 15th, 1981. So this is just three days later. (sighs) Now, she got picked up at a bus stop, and Clifford drives her to a remote area where she was murdered. And it's the same as before, repeated hammer blows to the head. Mm -hmm. Clifford's next victim is Ada Court. She was 13 years old. She was babysitting and walking home in June of 1981. Me picks her up, drives her to a remote area close to a lake. And again, repeated hammer blows to the head. Okay, so now we're on to July of 1981. Now, the first child that he kills in in July is a young boy named Patrick Parrington. He's only nine years old. He's the youngest victim that we know of. He was abducted, raped, and strangled. This is the first one that they talk about sexual assaults. 
I was just about to ask, okay. And I don't know if it's, like, ramping up and he's just, you know, like, he needs more. Because, mm-hmm. like, their crimes seem to always get worse, like serial killers. Right. Or if this is just the first time that it's reported or what it is. Because I, I can't say for sure he didn't Do sexually any, assault the other the ones. The other ones, okay. So he was picked up just two blocks from his house. And he was taken to a remote area of Richmond. And that's usually where he took his victims. Mm-hmm. And this one was uh, the the victim that we know that he gave beer to. The first one, anyways. But we're going to see that that's going to happen more. Okay. Now, his next victim is 14-year-old Judy Cosma. Just one week after he killed Simon, he kills Judy. She was raped and strangled. Judy was on her way to a job interview when she was picked up by Clifford. In this case, another teen, Robert, was also in the car with Clifford. Now, they were early for Judy's interview, and they drop Robert off at the mall. Okay. And then he um, takes Judy to a remote place and and murders her. And I think because of Robert that um, they actually start to catch on to Clifford. Right, because now he has a witness. Right. Now, the last victim is Raymond... The last victim in July is Raymond King Jr. And he was 15 years old. Now he was lured with the promise of work. And on July 23rd, he was raped as well, but he wasn't strangled. He was bludgeoned to death. He was taken to that same remote area and thrown off of some rocks, knocking him unconscious. While he was out, he was beaten to death with a rock. Now at this point, um, they say that they put Clifford under surveillance but it doesn't last very long because they say that it seems like he doesn't have anything to hide. Okay. Yeah. We'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. But now Clifford's next victim was Singrid Arnon and she was 18 years old. And she's one of the oldest victims, which is so sad because she's so young. Mm-hmm. Now she's a German tourist and she was raped and beaten. Now this murder happens just two days after Raymond's murder. When they say he's under surveillance. Right, so, right. Okay. And there's nothing suspicious. <laughs> there's nothing suspicious. He has nothing to hide. Right. Which is, like, I don't understand what kind of surveillance he's under. And all this time, he's supposedly on parole. So yeah. he's supposed to be checking in and all this stuff. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. The next victim is Terry Lynn Carson. And she was 15 years old. She was last seen at the same apartment complex that Christine Weller, the first victim, lived at. Mm -hmm. She was raped and strangled. It's like a broken record. She's at a bus stop. He picks her up. He drives her to a remote area. And her official cause of death is strangulation. The last victim that we know of is 17-year-old Louise Charan, she vanished while hitchhiking and she was picked up by Clifford and murdered by hammer blows to the head. Now, this is what we know, that Clifford did sort of the same things all the time. He picks up his victims, he gives them drinks, either pop or beer, and those actually have drugs in them. Oh, so So this way they don't fight back. Right, okay. So there's no defensive wounds or anything because they're drugged. Because they're drugged, yeah. And he's also a big churchgoer. So he would leave, actually, I know, oh, <laughs> I roll. Yeah. He would actually leave posters on, like, you know, like the community board. Okay. Saying, like, if you're a teenager and you want to make extra money, call me. Oh, so that was his, okay. That's yeah. how he kind of lured kids. Because you never know, he might have been just raping kids and not killing them. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. I think that's a huge possibility. Yeah. Now, the common theme is that... Now, like I said, a common theme that the police used was that the kids were runaways. And that's right. why, I don't know if they were taking them seriously or really looking into them. Right. And they even tried to use it for the nine-year-old, which I think the nine-year-old's a little bit, yeah, a little right. bit ridiculous. What would, like, did they tell us why, like, what kind of drove them to that conclusion that, that a nine-year-old would be runaway? I don't know, but they said, like, because of the other kids that went missing, like, it kind of opened their eyes a little bit to see, like, oh, maybe we should look into these more. Do you know what I mean? Which is right. just stupid. Now, here's some information as to why police thought that they could, you know, quote, trust him and that he wasn't a murderer. And basically why maybe they sort of turned a blind eye to it, mm-hmm. I think. Now, while he's in prison, he was stabbed seven times by some prisoners because he identified them as drug runners in the prison. Also, while he was in prison, he gave police enough information to convict a fellow inmate of rape and murder and mutilation of a nine-year-old girl. So police thought that they could get information. Like, they basically thought he was a snitch. You know, we could use him to get information about other things. Mm -hmm. So maybe he's useful to keep around. So maybe, like, that's why they didn't want to see it. Okay. Now, he does actually get caught because on August 12th, 1981, he's arrested on Vancouver Island on the suspicion of trying to abduct two female hitchhikers. Now, while police were checking out his car, they find an address book belonging to Judy Cosma. Okay. And he's subsequently arrested for her murder. Because he did, he was known to keep trophies as well from... Oh, jeez. Yeah. Now, he initially pleads not guilty. But he reaches sort of this crazy deal with police. Because okay. they only have him for Judy Cosma at this point. But mm-hmm. he says, okay, I can give you more people that I've killed for money. Right. $10,000 per victim. Mm-hmm. And this money was supposed to be played in a trust to his wife. And that's when he gives them... He says that he gave them a deal because he gave them 11 but he, he like 11 but he only got paid $100,000. Yeah. So... One was for free. That's what he said. That one was a freebie. Oh. Now, this deal wouldn't be revealed to the public until after the sentencing. I'm not sure that they would be very happy to hear that it was 10000 per. Nope. Per victim. Now, he does say while he's, like, after the sentencing and everything, oh, wait, I can give you 20 more graves for 100000 more dollars. Okay. But the province decides that it's not worth it. Which, if, if true, that brings his victims up to 31. 31, yeah. That he's willing to tell you. Right, that he's willing to admit to. Yeah, you're right. Now, Clifford got 11 concurrent life sentences with the recommendation that he never get released. <laughs> Which, obviously. Now, in 1992, after some complaints about back pain, mm-hmm. Clifford was sent to get x-rays. Mm-hmm. And the x-rays show that he had handcuffs, which he, uh, handcuff keys that he had stolen from a guard. They were in his rectum. Okay. I guess he was trying to escape. I don't know. If, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. When he, he gets transferred to a special handling unit, which is a max security prison in Saskatchewan. That closes in 97. He gets transferred to another maximum security prison in Montreal. 
1997, he's denied parole, and he appealed with the faint hope clause for the prisoners that serve 15 years of their life sentence. I don't think that's around anymore. I think that they stopped doing that. Yeah. But in July 18th of 2006, he was up for his next parole hearing, his second one, and it's also denied. Now, during this hearing, he stated... He, this is such crazy talk right now. Like, sometimes I say these things and I'm like, am I really saying these words? Yeah. During his hearing, he says that he is granted clemency by the United States of America for providing information on the September 11th attacks and that Canadian the Canadian prison system cannot hold him anymore. <laughs> okay. Now, after you serve so many years in Canada that you're allowed to apply for parole every two years? Yes. Mm-hmm. This is the point that he's at. That he's at. Mm-hmm. Now, during his time in prison, he's still trying to get special privileges for information. Like, he's anything right. that they want to know, he will tell them as long as he gets something. something yeah. He's not getting much. I mean, after that money that went to his wife, I don't think that the police... Or anyone could get away with giving him more. Right. Now, one of the most sort of funny slash sick things that I read was that he filed a lawsuit claiming cruel and unusual punishments. Of himself? Do you want to know for what? For being denied a life-size, revolutionary, non-inflatable sex doll. Oh my gosh. Okay. That really happened. That's this a real is thing. just outrageous. That's a real thing. And yeah. the saddest thing that I read that while he was in prison, he spent some of his time taunting the families of his victims, which is just like... How was he allowed to do that? Like, what do you mean? Like, calling them? I think sending letters, calling. I don't know what it was, but I'm like, what is happening right. in the world? So now... I mean, I don't know if it was a thing then, but I do know now that, you know, families, um, it will be told to the, to the person, to the criminal, that they are not allowed to, that that is against, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, they can not be charged, to be, right? Not, I don't know if he can get charged anymore. I mean, he's in there for the rest of his life. Right. But the fact that he even has access to that information is, is disgusting. disgusting. Well, yeah. here's a little bit of good news. September 30th, 2011, Mm -hmm. he died at the age of 71 from cancer. Didn't come soon enough. I hope that it was painful. Me too. Me too. I hate this guy. He He sounds like a piece of garbage. Such a piece of garbage. Yeah. So that's it. That's the case of Clifford Olson. Uh, Remember to join us on Instagram at sisters.coffee.and.crime. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This is Christina and Sandra. Talk soon.